There he is. <laughs> Peter, we're so humble. There's no place like home. <clears throat> yes. Greeting, Celebration Church. Everyone here, as well as those at our campuses, those who watch online. We're here for our Wednesday night Bible study. Glad that you've joined us. For the next uh, while here, we're going to be looking into the scriptures. We're going to, let's start with a word of prayer, and then we'll uh, get into it. Thank you, Father, for your kindness and grace. It's good to be home, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness. We are grateful that no matter where we go, you are always with us. Hallelujah. That your grace exceeds time and space. Hallelujah. Bless this gathering tonight and the ministry of this word, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. I have to shut off my, quiet my iWatch. It's making noises at me. There we go. All right, where are we? We are in uh, 2 Corinthians, the seventh chapter, as we're going through our verse-by-verse study of the Bible. We're in the New Testament. Uh, Paul is on his third missionary journey. (laughs) Did you see the big map, the other one? It's not any bigger than this one. (laughs) It's just bigger with other stuff on it. That's pretty funny. Anyway, so we just went back to this one. Uh, So Paul has three major missionary journeys, and uh, he's based out of Antioch, and he goes on the first one, and then he goes on the second one, and then he goes on this, well, the second one also includes, I think, up in here, and the third one, he's doing all, all well, the first time he didn't, the second time he went to Jerusalem, then he went back here, the next time he comes here, boom, he gets arrested, And he gets his butt dragged all the way off to Rome where he uh, dies, a martyr's death. Uh, But this journey is really quite spectacular, as we'll read about it in the book of Acts. As we've been going through the book of Acts, we've been stopping everywhere where Paul wrote one of these letters, or any of these letters were written, we've stopped and looked at these letters. Uh, On his third missionary journey, he stops in Ephesus. When he's there, he hears about problems in Corinth. He writes a letter to them to smack him upside the head. We just read that in 1 Corinthians. And then when he's coming around here, he's up here now. And then Titus comes back from Corinth and said, you know, these guys are still a little jacked up. And some of them really had their feelings hurt because they were so mean in the letter. And da-da-da-da. So that's when he writes the second letter of the Corinthians. He eventually comes down to see them. But this is the second letter that we're into. Uh, the first one was much more about, <clears throat> you know, getting on their cases about how to run things and what to do because of all the problems they were having. This one's much more about uh, just Christian theology, who we are, how we live out this life. It's really been a lot of fun looking at. Uh, but still, in the middle of this, he still kind of goes into these areas where he defends himself against some of these people who are upset with him. All right, so in uh, seventh, Corinthians, or seventh chapter, he's going around talking uh, about these different things, and then he goes back into this defense of, look, I had to do this because you guys were so jacked up. And I'm sorry I made you mad, but it's good that it made you, or I'm sorry that I made you sorrowful, but it's good that I got you sorrowful because sorrow leads us to repentance, okay? Uh, Chapter 7, verse 10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow uh, brings death. And we talked about that uh, last week. That, uh, you know, so many Christians today, you know, we tend to swing, as I said, big pendulum swings, you know. Everybody was so upset because preachers used to just make everybody feel bad all the time. It was their goal to make you feel as horrible as possible so that you'd come and repent. (laughs) 
I mean, you had to come and repent every service. That's what they wanted you to do. They just wanted you to grovel, grovel at the cross. That was their goal. And they really went overboard. The problem today is that Christians have gone the other way. And now they don't want anybody to feel bad about anything. And no one's supposed to ever hurt anybody's feelings, which just irritates the wheelies out of me. Because I don't think we are that fragile. Fragile. Don't be a fragile Christian. Some of you are fragile. I understand you're fragile. But heal. Okay? Let, let the grace of God heal you. Don't be one of the, I call them the intolerant wounded. You know, you see them on Facebook and all over the place and they scream and holler if somebody says something that's remotely offensive and they just have a fit. And, you know, if they swallowed a fly when they were a kid and choked and no one can ever make a joke about a fly now because that was a big deal to them. So, well, Pastor, I had much worse. I know everybody's had all their different things. Some have had horrible stuff and are absolutely fine today. You can say anything to them. It doesn't bother. Why? Because they've been healed. Others can have had horrible things or anywhere in between and they are gravely wounded anytime anybody says something because they just wear a chip on their shoulder and they go around and I call them the intolerant wounded and they demand everyone be sensitive to their wounds. Look, I get it. Some of you are still healing, but heal. All right? Don't hang on to this stuff. Don't walk around with chips on your shoulders and demand that everybody has to be as miserable as you. All right? How about you not be miserable anymore? Let's heal. Let God heal you. All right? So, uh, now nobody wants to say anything because someone might get hurt. Uh, and, uh, you know, I hear this all the time. Because <laughs> I've heard I'm a little edgy at times. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, people always ask, you know, oh, how can you say those things? I don't know. You know, I just, just say it. I think they need to be said. And, well, what if you hurt somebody's feelings? Well, then I'll say, I'm sorry. Move on. They're just feelings. Whatever. When did sticks and stones become irrelevant? Right? Do you remember we grew up? You geezers like me? What was the saying? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words? Pfft, not today. How dare you say anything? And that's everybody. I'll tell you the one thing. I just, and don't get me started. I'm not... I'm not getting into the political thing. I just, I don't, I don't do that in here. I lean once in a while, but I just don't. You want to look at my personal thoughts? I'll tell you, and even that gets me in trouble. But I just, you know what I hate about this thing? Is everybody just looks for something somebody said. If you say the wrong thing, and on both sides, there's way. Yeah, but you said this, this is really. Anyone who speaks for a living, I'm telling you, we all say stupid things. Now, we know some have been really bad, but they're all bad. They're all crazy people. They're crazy people. That's why we're not voting for pastor. <laughs> we're not. It's not voting for pastor. They're a bunch of psychotic people. Anybody who wants to rule the world is a little crazy. All right? I'd enjoy it personally, but that's because I'm a little crazy. But anyway, I said this and said, oh, just, just drives me crazy. <laughs> Anyway, I don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, so the thing is, I don't buy into this thing that you can't ever make somebody upset. Being upset is not the end of the world, okay? What if you make somebody feel bad? Okay, I'm of the opinion that if you do something bad, you should feel bad. That makes you normal. The people who don't feel bad, there's a word for them. It's called psychopath. Psychopaths never feel bad. They can take a cat, put him in the microwave, watch him blow up, and just, it does nothing. They hurt a little, they eventually start killing people. It doesn't bother them in the least. 
They don't feel bad about anything. I don't think Jesus called us to make psychopaths out of people who never feel bad about anything. They feel bad about something. Find out why you're feeling bad and repent. That's all. That's all. Find forgiveness. It's like some guy after church one time on a Wednesday night here. Probably told a story a hundred times. I only have so many stories. But uh, he's just, he said he's got tears streaming out, so he's waiting to talk to me. He said, hey, can you talk to me? I said, sure, what's the problem? He said, I just feel so guilty when you pray for me. And of course, I, I don't just pray for people. I ask questions. Ask questions. Find out why they want prayer. So I feel guilty. Why do you feel guilty? What did you do? Well, well, I'm, I'm, I'm having sex with my girlfriend. Okay. Well, don't do that, okay? Just, you want to just, just marry the girl. Oh, well, that's the other problem. She's, she's already married. <laughs> what? Stuff's flying around here. What is that? So I said, well, you should feel bad. You're committing adultery. Stop it. I could pray for him that didn't feel bad anymore. Just stop. He stopped. Praise the Lord. I told him to move back to Texas. He did. I haven't seen him since. Praise the Lord. No, no, don't say anything. Don't hurt somebody's feelings. So anyway, so here's what Paul says in verse 11. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. It's a good thing. What earnestness, eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation, alarm, longing, concern, readiness to see justice done. At every point you've proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. Well, they weren't all innocent, but the ones who were. So it's a good thing. It's not, it's not bad. It's not bad to feel bad. Now, there's a difference between feeling bad and showing a path to getting it right than people who feel condemned. Those, now that's a problem. If you feel condemned that no matter what you do, no matter how much you ask God to forgive you, no matter what you do, you're still doomed, that's bad. That's called condemnation. We're not supposed to be condemned, all right? But we are supposed to feel a sense of conviction. That's the Holy Spirit in us. So even though I wrote to you, I was neither on account of the one who did the wrong nor on account of the injured party, but rather that before God you could see for yourselves how devoted you are by all this, we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. Remember, he's up here. Titus comes, tells us what's going on. That's why he's writing the letter. He's saying, look, it's great to see Titus. All right? Uh, he had a great time with you guys. Uh, verse 14, I had boasted to him about you and you have not embarrassed me, but just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proven to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I'm glad I can have complete confidence in you. All right. So, chapter 8. Now, chapter 8 is, remember, they're not written in chapters. They just broke these up so you could find reference points. He's still talking. Uh, and then he says, now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Uh, where he's up now, all this is up in Macedonia, where he's at. So he's telling them about how things are going great up there. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord's people. What is he talking about? Well, in the first letter, he said, let's raise some money to help the church in Jerusalem. They are really having a difficult time financially. 
So he writes to them in the first letter of Corinthians we talked about where they wrote to them you know, to try and help them out. So now he's picking this up. Again, it hasn't been that long of a time since between the letters. He's just getting kind of an update from Titus and filling them in some more. He says, look, the Macedonian churches, they heard about the need. They're coughing up money. They're really helping. And, and it's hard for them to do that. Verse 5, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as we had made earlier, uh, had early made a beginning to bring also to, to completion this act of grace on your part. Fancy words of saying, hey, cough up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> These guys have coughed up. Now you cough up. Uh, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. All right. Now, the thing is, most people really enjoy excelling in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and earnestness. Not quite as excited about excelling in giving. That, oh, that's a little bit more painful for people. But he said, man, if you're growing in your faith in this area, you should also be growing your faith in that area. We should be growing as complete Christians. Now, <clears throat> it doesn't say why Jerusalem is in a mess. Um, I'm sure there's uh, theories that wander about. Um, is it a result of persecution that they're having down there? Uh, I don't know. Do you remember how the, Ju- the Jerusalem church started? Of course, you ca- I can't hear you guys in Point and Appleton and everywhere else, but anybody here? Does anybody remember? What do they do? What do they do? They're ba- yeah, they're basically communists. <laughs> that sounds shocking. Not the evil kind of communists where there is no God, but they literally lived in communes. Everybody who got converted sold everything they had and gave it to the church and they all shared the money, okay? Now, that's kind of cool if you're a communist, okay? I mean, and it's neat that everybody, you know, they were doing this first real commune thing. The problem was uh, it was extremely idealistic in this respect. You have to understand that when they first said, when Jesus said, look, I'm going into heaven, I'm coming back, they thought he's like, you know, going for milk or something, you know? They felt like... He's going to be back 20 minutes. You know, who knows? Maybe a few days. It's got to be a couple of months. I'm sure they were shocked when it was a couple of years. Well, he's got to be coming back. He said he's coming back. He said he's coming back, right? So if we all knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, I mean, let's say it was an absolute documented fact. It says so in the Bible, which it doesn't say, but it says so. And by the way, every time you hear some idiot tell you the Bible has revealed to them when Jesus is coming back, they're idiots, all right? Jesus said, nobody will, not, not even I don't know, he says. Only my Father in heaven knows. I mean, it's amazing. All right? So, but let's say we'd figured it out and we knew exactly that in three months from now, Jesus was coming back. It was a slam dunk, absolute fact. Would you go to work? Not me. <laughs> well, maybe I would, because this, this is my job, but you know what I'm saying? Would you worry about your bills much? No, not really. That last month, you'd probably really run up your credit cards. <laughs> 30 days before the bill comes in. You know what I'm saying? We're out of here by the end. You know, cash stuff in, sell stuff. Just, you know, it's just, yeah, you need, oh, I really need some money. Oh, really? Here, here, just have some of ours. Yeah. Who cares? We're all out of here. So, uh, beyond the experience of the early church, which some Christians try to say that's the way we're supposed to be living even today, but they fail to recognize that beyond that early church experience, they didn't do that anymore. You don't see that anymore. And isn't it interesting now that they are in big financial trouble? See, it's uh, 
Margaret Thatcher, the uh, Prime Minister of England, at once said, the problem was socialism. This is good for a lot of you guys who think lefty. <laughs> and it's okay if you are, peace. But he says, the problem with socialism is eventually you run out of other people's money. Right? At some point, the gravy train comes, take it from the rich, take it from the rich, take it from the rich. What they don't tell you right now, even though people scream, take it from the rich, you know, worry that I were in such a category. But uh, 5% of the richest people in America pay, what is it, 90% of all the taxes. You know, they say, make them pay their fair share. Well, how much more do you want them to pay? You know, everything? Well, yeah, that's what they want. Nobody should have more than me. You know, that kind of thing. So by destroying everybody, then nobody has any money, and eventually it all comes to a screeching halt. It's clearly the problem with the Jerusalem church. In the beginning, they all had lots of money. The church had everything. Because everybody sold everything. If all y'all would sell all your houses and everything and put it in the offering Sunday, that's a good Sunday for us. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, we're, this is awesome. Wow, how nice is this? And then we'll just say, hey, look, if you need anything, just give us a call. We'll help you out. Well, what happens at some point? You run out of money. I don't know that's what happened. It's my big theory about what happened. All we know is suddenly the gravy train comes with a screeching halt. And now they're in big financial trouble. And Paul says, let's help these guys out. And he just wanted everybody, he just figured, we'll see in a minute, <laughs> it's not communism, but he says, you know, there should be equality. You know, those who have should help those who don't have, and then when you don't have, then they can help you back. And there should be that kind of attitude in the Christian community. We should be uh, aware of each other's needs and try and help as much as you can. But, uh, you know, there were strict rules. The Bible, Paul himself said, look, if people don't work, they don't eat. Not very compassionate, right? But that was the rule he laid down. You got a job? Great. You don't have a job, we ain't giving you jack. I mean, it was really strict. I mean, he was, they, were, they got more and more strict. We'll see this in the writings as we go on. On the, the, the money they give from the church to help people became very restrictive. You had to meet specific criteria before they would give you money. In the early days, it was flowing around very freely. Later on, it became strict. Uh, we're fairly strict here. Uh, people call from all over the town uh, asking if the church gives money. Are you a member of our church? No. Uh, the answer is no. We don't. If we don't know you, if you're not part of this congregation, now if you're in this congregation and we know you and you're a member and you're hurting, we'll do our best. We do help people out financially. And sometimes people, you know, we've all been there, right? Some bad thing happens and you can't make rent or they're going to do this to you or you can't feed your kids. For heaven's sake, if you're a member of this congregation, you're a committed uh, to this group, we're there for you, and people will help you, and uh, we have that thing on the city, that online thing that, you know, if you need a refrigerator, you post it, somebody has an extra refrigerator, say, I got an extra, we're there to help one another, okay, that's a good thing, but we just don't freely, and sometimes people get mad at us, you know, well, so-and-so is a nice person, really, no, well, why don't you give something, because they're not, they don't belong to our church, well, that's not fair, really, I'll tell you it's not fair, it's not fair to take your money and give it to somebody else. And who knows what they're doing with it, right? You know, going to the, you know. <laughs> it kind of sounds like taxes, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's not right in the church. And we, and we don't do that. We don't do the distribution of wealth. Uh, that's, that's up for psychotic uh, politicians to deal with. All right? So, um, so that was the rule. Anyway, they, 
obviously got themselves in financial trouble. And that's what Paul now, we're going to be reading through this thing about talking about this big offering. All right? Uh, Verse 8, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. (laughs) In other words, I'm not commanding you, I'm just trying to make you feel guilty. Is that's kind of what he's saying here. Because, right, he talked about the Macedonian church, how much they've given it. And I'm not commanding I just want to see how you guys compare to these guys. I mean, come on. Cough it up. Uh, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Of course, rich in grace and in peace and in joy and all this is not necessarily, I don't think at all, in terms of financially rich. rich. There are uh, people who actually believe this means literally financially rich. Rich. Not have your needs met. I mean just Cadillacs, Rolls Royces, private planes. All. They really believe if you walk in faith, God will make you rich. They absolutely believe it. And they'll tell you openly and publicly. A lot of these uh, evangelists and stuff, they say these money guys on, on Christian radio and TV, which most of you don't watch, thank God. You know, but they're out there, and, uh, and, and people, you know, every once in a while you hear them say, well, they're, they're just trying to get rich. That doesn't bother them at all, because their answer to that is, yeah. Yeah, we believe that's what God wants. And they practice what they preach. <laughs> they take as much money as they can <laughs> and live rather extravagantly. And uh, I don't know how they justify some of this. I have been in, you know, I'm in and out of all kinds of places, okay? Remember, there's a big difference between what we think and what we believe. People don't like what I think a lot of the times, but I'll tell them it's what I think. You know, they get all mad. Ah, you know, well, that's what I think, you know, assume me. I, I don't preach this. This is what the, I say the Bible says you have to think this way or vote this way or do this thing or, you know, whatever. Uh, and in, within churches, we go to a lot of de- different denominations and stuff, and we don't all think the same. I go to some very liberal churches that believe all kinds of crazy stuff. I've had even my own staff say, you're not going to go to that church, are you? I say, yeah. Why? Because I feel God's mission in my life is to help save marriages, not to straighten out other people's theology. Okay? I will, however, try to straighten out your theology because I'm your pastor. All right? And I... I will beat the snot out of all of you as I try to make my case. Sometimes I prevail, sometimes I do not, but I will make it my very best effort. But I don't do this. Well, you see me, do, I don't do this out there. I keep my mouth shut. <laughs> and, and there's all kinds, and some of them are just really just crazy. And every once in a while, I'll run into one of these guys, that's their thing, the money thing. They're just, ooh, they're just, and the cars they have, holy cow, the houses, it's just, man, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> they'd stone me in Green Bay if I lived this way. You know what I'm saying? But, uh, but that's their thing, and they're not ashamed of it. They actually believe it, you know? People used to yell, you know, remember the whole Jim Baker thing, and these, you know, the gold and faucets and everything? They weren't hiding that from anybody. Do you know they have gold? They said, well, yeah. That's what we believe. If you have a lot of faith, God will give you gold and everything else. And because he got himself all kinds of trouble, but... Uh, Anyway, there are people who actually take this verse and others like it and think the riches they're talking about is literally only in terms of financial riches. Now, having said that, I believe that God uh, wants to bless it. He's going to say this in a minute. He wants to meet all of your needs. So you have all that you need. 
Okay, that doesn't mean crazy rich. But there are some people that God blesses financially in a very big way. Uh, and he blesses them because uh, he wants them to be generous to others. In other words, Paul talks about that. Those of you who are able to give, give generously. Some people, that's their gifting. They don't preach, they don't teach, they don't do anything. Uh, they don't even volunteer on Sunday morning. They work day and night, but they make a lot of money. Well, you're not supposed to just keep all that for yourself. All right? You're supposed to be generous. Your ministry in the church is to be generous. And I promise you, as I travel around the world and I'm in these gorgeous churches, uh, these churches, most of them, are paid for by, you know, a very small percentage of very wealthy people in their churches. I mean, they make a lot of jack, jack. And, uh, but everybody gives according to their own method, which Paul's going to talk about here in just a minute. But there are people God blesses that raises them and they do very, very well and they contribute and they make huge gifts uh, to, to the kingdom of God. So I'm all for that. I hope some of you just become insanely wealthy. I do. I just, you know, you got a business idea. Or this, I just hope you prosper ridiculously because I believe God knows that those who won't just eat it all themselves are the ones he's likely to bless because they're generous people. That's why you want to be generous as you can. Always letting God, hey, Lord, I'm very free down here. Pick me, pick me, you know what I'm saying? So that, uh, so that you can have uh, a very blessed. So I'm not against any of that. I'm not against, you know, whatever. Uh, but I just don't think that the measure of spirituality is how much money you have. And I think that's ridiculous. I certainly don't think uh, that it's proper that I take as much of your money and put it into my pocket as possible. Most of you know, for the last 10 years, I've taken little to nothing. Just in the last year, they've actually started paying me a salary here. Well, great. Praise the Lord. I'm, I'm grateful for it. Uh, it's a good thing. It's what should be done. But uh, I've never been motivated by that. You know, that's anybody who knows me, that's not what floats my boat, all right? Which I do have a boat. <laughs> Which you did not pay for, by the way. <laughs> They're called books, praise the Lord. Buy my books, all right? My grandchildren will thank you. All right, so, uh, where am I? Okay. Uh, verse 10. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were uh, the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. You're the first one that even wanted to give, and then you did. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means, how much you have. If, uh, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So, so understand. See, that's why the, the idea of tithing is a solid biblical principle. I don't think it's mandatory. Uh, the New Testament, we don't live by mandatory rules. Uh, but it's a good measuring point because then everybody just gives that percentage of what they make. Then everything's in line with what they do. Okay, now he doesn't mention a particular percentage here, but the concept is still there. Give according to what you have. Not to what you don't have. No one's going to, you know, well, pass it. I can only give 10 bucks. Okay, then give it. All right? Uh, and someone say, well, I can give 1,000, but I only want to give 10 bucks. <laughs> well, that's not good. <laughs> okay? Give as you're able to give. Uh, and uh, we'll keep looking at this as he talks about this. So uh, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, you're not trying to make anybody miserable, but that there might be equality. Remember, I talked about that before. 
as the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. You know, let's, let's help those in need. Now, we try to do that, uh, hopefully, as much as we can, amongst our congregation to help uh, one another. As it is written, the one who has gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Uh, this idea of, of uh, equality, of course, they push that real hard in their big commune concept, but obviously it didn't work very well. Uh, thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. Who is it? We don't know. <laughs> he doesn't say. Don't do that to us. Talk about stuff we haven't had. At times, in these letters, they mention stuff we honestly don't know what they're talking about. I pointed out many times. We don't know what they're talking about. Well, maybe let's just move along. You know, don't get hung up on what you don't know. I have enough problem dealing with what I do. <laughs> what I do know is challenging enough. All right, so we don't know who this guy is, but we're glad he's being sent. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering. Woohoo! Who is he? We don't know. Which we administered in order to honor the Lord for himself and show his eagerness to help. Uh, you know, maybe it was a big dude. You know, maybe that's why they're this big yo mama brother. Now, we have to remember, they're taking as much money as they possibly can from all these churches to take it back here. They didn't wire money. There wasn't any banking situation. They carried it. I mean, just the threat. Can you think of that? I mean, if anybody knows... And, and during this day, they had people who just look for people to rob. You know? And if these guys were just loaded like bear to take all this down there, maybe, maybe they picked a big yo mama dude. We like this guy. Praise the Lord. He's big. Uh, we want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in guys, uh, uh, the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. He wants everything above board. In addition, we are sending with them our brother, who has often proved to us in many ways that he's zealous, not now, uh, and now even more because of this great confidence in you. Who is he? We don't know. As for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honor to Christ. They might have, everybody might have sent somebody along. You know, they, they had to have, my guess is, is it had to be a group of guys, a fairly respectable contingent going, if nothing else, just to ward off the threat of being robbed. Not only that, but it's, you know, it had to be heavy because they had coins and dollar and silver and, you know, it's not like you can put a couple hundred bucks in your pocket. <laughs> ching, ching, ching. So, you know, anyway, that's probably what it was. Who knows? Who cares? All right. So, where am I? Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so the churches can see it. So all that, he's just inside baseball talking about the church, about, listen, we're organizing everything to take the money down to, to Jerusalem. There's no need for me to write about the service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred up most of them uh, to action. Uh, Paul actually uses this concept of, uh, he says we're supposed to provoke each other to love and good words. We're supposed to challenge each other to do better, to think bigger, 
to be more generous, to serve more, to challenge more. People get insulted when you try to ask them to do things. You shouldn't be insulted because we're going to try and ask you to do something <laughs> because we're supposed to be challenging each other. We're supposed to provoke each other to love and to good works, not just to provoke each other. All right? Some people are just good at that. Anyway, I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not only, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So he said, listen, I've been talking to you guys up. Don't embarrass me. Okay, you're going to be embarrassed too. All right, it's just, they just write differently than we talk today. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift not as one grudgingly given. Okay, so all that inside baseball about their offering. Now, he starts giving us some theology about the idea of giving. This, this is good. This we can really apply to our present situation. He challenges them. Verse 9, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will reap generously. People often ask, how much should I give? Uh, the answer is, how much do you want to be blessed? You know? Remember, giving is voluntary. Nobody is over, looking over your shoulder, taking up on how much you give. That's something you decide to do. Um, if you give as the minimum you can possibly give, your blessings in return are probably the minimum God will dole out. <laughs> it is what it is, you know? Uh, it's just a rule. The more you sacrifice and give, and not just financially, of time and energy, prayers, whatever, the more will be given back to you. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. That's how this works. Here's how we think it works. Lord, give me so I can give. Are you following me? Oh, Lord, help me win the lottery. Oh, don't tell me you pray that prayer, I'll smack you. All right? <laughs> You know, oh, I pray, Lord, give me a lot. Don't, don't, don't pray that prayer, right? People pray, oh, God, help me win. Because if I win the lottery, oh, man, people tell me this. You know, they think maybe telling me a pastor, I'll, I'll give him a good word. You know, give him a man upstairs, like I have a special connection or something, you know. Oh, yeah, hey, hey, pastor, if I win the lottery, I'll give a lot of money to the church, you know. <laughs> You're not going to win jack, all right? That's not the way it works. The way it works is you give, and then God will give to you and bless you. Jesus said, uh, if you do this right, it'll be pressed down, shaken together, and running over into your bosom, which would be nice. How many would like have so much blessings coming into your lap, you couldn't hold it all? Sign me up. It'd be cool. Have you ever experienced that? Yes, it's quite wonderful. It's a great thing. It's a good thing. But you have to give first. It doesn't just come. You have to give. Give, and it will be given to you. You know, I used to have so many great stories that I could share along these lines, but I, I don't think people listen. I, I think, you know, especially the church in, in uh, uh, Stevens Point, they saw, when we first came to Stevens Point, we didn't have jack. We didn't have anything. Almost a little to nothing. And I started running around doing these seminars. And we would make a bunch of money from these seminars. And it was my money. I had every right to keep every penny of it. It was my money. But what we did is we took all the money and we gave it to the church. And we go do another seminar. We take all the money and give it to the church. And we do another seminar. So we give all the money and 
give it to the church. Why? Because we wanted to bless the church. We wanted to see it succeed. Now, not everybody can do that. I get it. But we were, we, the church gave us our salary. We had our salary. So with the extra money we came in, we just, there. Because we wanted to see the church succeed. You know, then a year later, somebody's knocking on my door saying, man, I, I hear you're doing great works for f- marriages. He never heard me speak ever, ever. He said, I, I, I hear you're doing stuff, good stuff for marriages. I, I said, yeah. He says, well, listen, if, if, I, if I gave you $4 million, would you really do as much as you possibly can? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let me pray about it. Yes. Okay? And, and, and a lot of you guys over there, however many are listening right now, you know that was what happened. But even when I was there, I was telling the story, I don't think they heard it. You know, they think, no, no, it's because you were lucky. It's not because, you know, you had these good things. And then stuff just kept happening. Doors kept opening. There's, I'm telling you, more stuff happened for us than anybody I know. I don't know anybody else who's had that stuff. You know, I got another call from another guy out in Arizona. I want to meet with you. Okay. So he flies me in. I meet, we have lunch with him, spend on. And we're in the airport having lunch. And then that was it. You know, I, I got to go catch my plane. So, okay, great. That's what you know. I'm, I'm going to put a million dollars to your effort. Oh, thanks. What do you say? I quick hop on the plane. It was a, you know, I land. This is land in Minnesota, and I, and I called my wife. I said, I got to know what that meeting. She said, what did he want? He said, he wants to give us a million dollars. She said, oh, why would he do that? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe because we were generous to give. And it kept coming back. We keep giving more and keep coming back and keep giving more and prosper. I'm telling you, I have lived this stuff. I know it works. Now, it's not like a casino. All right? There's people who think that way. Now, if I give a hundred men, God's got to give me back a thousand. God's got to give me back a hundredfold. You know, they got to, you know, again, these are these churches that believe everybody's supposed to be rich. And to them, it's like a formula. I promise you, God is not a formula. And this isn't a casino. All right? You've got to be in the right place. You've got to just be generous of your heart and just do what you can and Man, I wasn't doing this. I'm doing this and God's going to send a millionaire to help me really minister to people. Furthest thing from my mind. You think of those terms, you're probably going to give a lot of money and get jack. Right? Just get in a good place. Have a good heart. Live generously. God will bless you if you'll live generously. All right? It is a positive thing. And again, as much as I have lived this and tried to tell the story... I, I just know a lot, but they don't hear it. Oh, no, it's just because you were lucky. and Oh, you were lucky you met that guy. And, and that was fortunate you had that. And, well, yeah, but you talk and you're a funny guy. That's what people like. Really? I get more criticism from being funny than anything else. <laughs> Apparently, this is irritating to some people. Can't imagine. Anyway. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. It works. It just works. Now, I don't know what God has for you. God may never bring anybody into your life to do much of it. I don't know. What I do know is if you will sow generously, you will reap. Okay? He says, if you sow sparingly, you will reap. Sparingly kind of bites. It's better than nothing. I mean, I get by with sparing. But be generous. Be as generous as you can. 
Now you, well, how much do I have to give it? Does Bob say we have to tithe? Yeah, I want to know the absolute minimum I can do. Really? <laughs> this is your mentality? I mean, do what you can. Well, I don't have anything. We'll talk about that in just a minute. We're not done. All right. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. It's not my job to guilt you out. You don't hear me talk about this stuff. I'm not trying to guilt you out now. I'm trying to entice you. Here it is. Come get it. <laughs> Have a little faith. Trust God. Be a little bold in your life. Don't put yourself and your family at risk. If you're throwing in so much money in the offering, you can't feed your children, I'm going to slap you. We said be generous. I said generous, not stupid. Okay? Some people, they don't have much to give. Then give the little you can. Remember Jesus was watching people give money and he saw the little old lady come in with, with two pennies. Toss them in. Jesus said, wow, that woman gave a lot. In fact, she gave more than anybody else. Really? Yeah, because she gave out of her needs. She didn't have much. He was so pleased. He didn't, man, the guy's still coming and throwing big yo mama checks. He just, he doesn't anything about those guys. Now, I pray for some big yo mama checks because it helps us to do what we can to advance the kingdom of God. But you do it according to your ability. That's what he's been saying the whole time. All of this is according to your ability. How much can you give? What can you give? Well, I can't give anything. We'll get to that. Here we go. So he says, give what you've decided in your heart. By the way, by the way, this is nothing. I have so many things that irritate me. It's such a long list. How many have been in a service or before the office? Let's pray and ask the Lord what he wants you to give. You ever been in a service like that? Do you know how many churches among America still do this nonsense? Let's bow our heads and just ask God what he wants you to give. First of all, are you that spiritual? You're going to buy your head and God's going to say, 25 bucks. <laughs> because some of y'all are a lot more spiritual than me. Because I, you know, I don't hear that kind of stuff. First of all, asking God to tell you how much to give means it's not giving anymore. Right? Well, pastors, have you ever felt like the Lord wanted you to give? Some? Yeah. But that's not giving anymore. That's obedience. Hey, give that guy 100 bucks. I, I, I don't want to. <laughs> give him. <sighs> okay. I'm sure he thought I was giving. I was just being obedient, okay? God can do that. And that's very rare. It's happened maybe once or twice in my life. If you have to ask God to tell you what to give, say, these over-spiritualized, God's got to tell everybody everything. God's got to tell everybody everything. If God has to tell you to give, how is that giving anymore? That's like you coming to your husband, let me tell you what to give me for my birthday. Now, some of us do that because he's clueless and you'd get nothing if you didn't at least do that. So I'm not condemning that. I'm just saying... That's not as quite as free as all of a sudden he just does something, right? Okay? You telling someone, you know, all right, for Christmas, you give me 25 bucks, you give me 50 bucks, and you give me 1,000 bucks. All right? Sorry about that, but that's you over there. All right, so, well, come on, come on. We're not giving anymore. You're being told what to give. This idea of praying and asking God to tell you what to give is ridiculous. It is unbiblical. Unbiblical. Well, how do I know what to give? Each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. Okay? That's why whenever we take the offering, by the way, did we take an offering here tonight? 
Wait, they always yell at me for offering. Good. I'm preaching about offerings. I still haven't taken an offering. Somebody grab the buckets. Where are the buckets? Seriously, where are the buckets? Does anybody know where the buckets? Tim, do you know where the buckets are? Anybody? Maybe that's one of the reasons we don't take offerings. We don't have anybody actually to take the offering. There you go. Just pass them around. Bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. All right? I did not time it like this so that you give more money. I, I honestly, I totally forgot about it. I was supposed to do it at the beginning and, and you guys online do something else. All right, so anyway. So God loves a cheerful. That's why when we take an offering, we all what? We all clap, see? Why? People, people, I, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of people in our church who have no idea why we do that. I'm sure of it. We're all taking an offering here. I don't know why I'm clapping. I don't, because at some point, it becomes, you know, just a thing, right? So that originally started because the idea was God loves a cheerful giver. It's time to give. woo All right. I'm going to give what I determined in my heart before I ever showed up here to give. You see what I'm saying? It's a premeditative thought. This is how you give. Go into church. What can I give? What can we do? What can I give out of where I'm at in life today? Uh, and then you come and you cheerfully do it, knowing that he who gives generously will reap generously. Okay. Um, and then he says this, and God is able to bless you abundantly. Remember, he's talking about you give, God will bless you. What kind of blessing? God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need. Everybody say all. all. Let me say this again. So that in all things, all things, at all times, having all that you need. How many of you would like that? Yes. All right. A few of you don't want that, but you know, that <laughs> sucks to be you. All right. But the rest of us like that idea that in all things, at all times, having all that you need. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to have Cadillacs and private jets and all this other kind of stuff. It just means that in all things, all things you're just going to have everything you need. That's nice. That is a good thing. Okay? You want to be, this is what God wants to do. He wants to bless you in this way. Having all that you need, you will abound to every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. These are the kind of people that are blessed, that are generous. They give to uh, in any opportunity they can because they have been so blessed. That's the kind of blessings God wants you to have. You say, well, I, I, again, I don't have anything. That's why I can't get there because I don't have anything. Okay, well now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply increase uh, and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of righteousness. So what is he saying? <clears throat> Using farming terms because they were a very agrarian society. The whole world was an agrarian society until like 150 years ago. Everybody lived on Actually, even most Americans lived on farms 150 years ago. It's even a smaller window. I mean, you stop and think about that. This, the way we live today is very odd. That we live in houses and we go to work and we buy that and we don't grow anything. You know, that's other people grow stuff for us now, right? I mean, this is all very, very, very unusual. Okay. So anyway, he says, now he who supplied seed to the sower, God will bless you. But we're talking to farmers, just like he'll bless you so that you have enough to plant, God will bless you so you have enough to give, is what he's saying. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on some occasions, once in a while, if you feel really led. Oh, I'm sorry. Wrong translation. <clears throat> so that you can be generous on 
every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Now, here's the problem. God wants to bless you with seed so you can sow. What many of us do is we eat all our seed. Are you following me? If you as a farmer have a whole bunch of seed and when it comes time for planting, you can't plant anything because you, you ate all the seed, is, is that wise? All right? So I, I, I really, this is a challenge for Americans and this is why we try to encourage everybody in our church you know, sign up and do that, the Dave Ramsey course. If you haven't done it, you should do it. If you haven't done it, which is most of you, you should do it. Sign up. It's not going to kill you. It'll be good. He shows you how to succeed financially. The problem with Americans is we eat all our seed. Everything we touch, we consume. It's what we do. And so, well, it's time to give. I can't. Of course you can't. You ate it. You ate everything. Don't eat everything your hand touches. Now again, some of you, I understand, you are at the bottom. No one's saying, don't feed your family or pay your bills. I'm not talking about that. But you want to grow enough financially to the point where you can actually live and not consume everything. We are in such a consumer-driven culture. Here's what I'm talking about. People who have $40,000 a year, that's what they make. And, and in Green Bay, the average is $40,000, $50,000, whatever. So they make $40,000 a year. They're convinced if they make $80,000 a year, they'll have it made. Right? All you make for it, man, if I could make eighty, I got it made. Do you know the people who make eighty are as broke as you are? And some of them worse. And the people who make eighty are convinced if I can make $160,000. I'll have it made. You have, I know some of you don't believe me. There's a lot of people. There are people in our own congregation who make that kind of money and they can barely breathe. Talk to one person. They had to easily be in the 300 plus. Easily, that's conservative. Income. Even here in Green Bay. Nice people. Uh, they don't go to our church. I'm, I'm talking about these guys. They're very nice guys. And we said, hey man, let's, 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 go, to, let's go to dinner. Ah, now we're kind of on a tight budget. Excuse me? If you, and I, didn't, I just smiled, I said, okay, great. But I, I remember hopping in the car, looking at my wife, saying, oh my goodness, what's the point? You're making three to $500,000 a year, you can't go to dinner because you got to have a million dollar house and you got to drive $100,000 cars and you got to have all this stuff. To what end? You can't even go eat. And then some of them are up to their eyeballs in debt. And it just, all it does is it keeps getting worse. Don't do that. Here's the thing. If you made 80,000 when you're used to living on 40 and you kept spending like you were on 40, you'd be in good shape. But that's not what people do. Then they start spending more. Getting a bigger house, nicer car. And then when you start making... 100000 you don't actually have another $40,000 a year, $20,000 a year. Now you, know, now you get a bigger house and, and a nicer car. And, and then if you make 140000 a year, you don't have an extra $40,000 a year. No. Of course, forget the, 
the fact that the government's taking a bigger chunk out of your leg every time you walk by. So it's not as much as you think. You actually have less. You're not actually making 104. That's the other thing that's depressing. Back with the taxes, right? You think that when you make 40, when you're going to make 80, you're going to have 40 more? <laughs> no, you won't. Because we all want to get the man, right? Tax those people. Get those people. We need more taxes in this car. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's just what we need. Keep biting your leg. <laughs> and it's just, it's just a mess, all right? And we live in this culture. And, and if you go in to the bank, let's say you want to get a mortgage. They first, they'll do a calculation. What can you afford? How much do you make? Then they come up with this percentage that you can afford, right? They'll think of the max that you can afford. And then when you go for a car loan, they figure out, what's the max you can afford? And then they push into that. And then if you're going to go and get a loan for something else, well, what's the max you can afford? And then they push in. So everybody starts living at the max. They're living right on the edge. Ah! Ah! That's where they live the whole time. How much money do you make? Oh, about 100000 really? Hey, I'm scared to death. Ah! Well, stop. How about you can afford an $80,000 car and instead you buy a used red pickup truck? Right? Now the redhead, she can drive whatever she wants. I'm afraid of her. All right? But I, I could have a Yo Mama sports car. That would be great, right? I got a rusty old truck. Know what that means? I got more money. I can do other stuff. I can go to dinner. If I invite you to dinner, I always pay. And if you invite me to dinner, I always pay. Why? Because I drive a rusty truck. <laughs> That's why. I'm not forwarding out $800 a month, $1,200 a month on some stupid car. I can go to dinner. Look like the hero. Oh, $40? I'll, I'll pick that up. Of course, you're happy because that's, you know, I'm picking up the tab. Now, don't just run up and invite me out to dinner because I only got so much money, but, <laughs> but <laughs> anyone who's ever gone dining with me know I always pick up the check. Unless we get in a fight and then you can do what you want. Right. Some people feel insulted when I do. I'm not to be insulted. I just, I, I drive a, a crummy truck. That's why. And, and other stuff. And we live in a fairly modest home. Those have been to our home. You know, it's a nice home, but it's not a big yo mama home. Actually, I'd like a bigger home. My wife will kill me. And I'm afraid of her. So I'd stay in a smaller home. And uh, the good thing is, I got a boat. <laughs> Why do you got a big boat? Because I can. Because I have a, a lousy car and a smaller house. It all works out somehow, right? And I can buy lunch. Praise the Lord. It all works out good. The point is, don't consume everything you touch. and Because blah, 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 you will live in a place where you cannot be generous. You can't give. I promise you, the people who uh, don't have much debt never envy the people who have lots of debt. They never do. Now, you might make $300,000 and be in debt up to your eyeballs. And someone over here might only make $30,000 a year but have no debt. You know who en envies whom? These guys envy that person. It happens all the time. You got no debt? No. Your house is paid for? Really? Wow. 
They make a lot more money, but not. So again, I'm not saying you can't get a nicer place and you don't really have to drive a rusty truck. <laughs> At some point, that one will fall apart and I'll have to do something else, all right? But I'm just saying, live in a way that, that you can breathe. If you can afford a $1,500 a month payment for a house, get a house for 1000 a month. If you can afford a car for $800 a month, drive a car $500 a month. It's just a car. It gets you from here to there. Now, if you could sleep in it, I guess I'd see. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's just a car. You know? Anyway. What was I talking about? Where am I? Um, da, 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 da. 13. Because of the service by which you have provided yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. I tell you, when you are able to be generous to someone else, it does end up in God getting praised because they start praising God. Wow. And that guy did this for me or did that for me. It's great. I love looking for opportunities like that. And in their prayers for you in their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. All right? So that's, that's all that about the giving. We don't harp a lot about giving here because people don't hear it. They just assume we're trying to get something out of them. And it's not about trying to get something out of you. It's trying to unleash the blessings of heaven on you because I want you to succeed. And I'm serious. I want to see this because I see it in these other churches. These churches that are massive churches, they do it because some, some of these guys have three, four, five people in their church, that's it. But they make a fortune. They find one, they make a widget that nobody thought of making. And boom. You know, they just make a fortune at it. And then they bless their church. And the church does all kinds of incredible things. And they give a million dollars a year to missions alone. And I mean, it's just, yeah, I want people like that here. I do. And, and then I want you to buy me lunch. All right? But, uh, <laughs> but to, to be generous, to be blessed, live the kind of life that God can bless you. Prove your faithfulness to him by being faithful in the little things. Jesus said, if you'll be faithful in the little things, I will make you ruler over many things. All right? Don't feel, don't think, that, just a, a poverty mentality that I have nothing, I'll always have nothing and I gotta hoard as everything as I can because in 10 years I'll probably have even less than nothing and I need to hoard everything I can and I'm not gonna give anybody anything because I gotta have everything myself and this is, you know, look, you need to be wise, you need to plan for the future, I'm all for that, I understand all that, I do. But don't live in the world that is and living driven by fear. When we start talking about money, your heart should not fill with fear. If I mention money and your heart races a bit, you're not in a good place, all right? Get, go sign up for that course, the Dave Ramsey course. He's not gonna just yell at you to give money to the church. He's gonna show you how to handle money, how to clear and handle your finances, how you can get into a place where you can be strong financially. That's, that's what he's gonna show you to do. You wanna get in a place that even with the little you have, you're doing really well. So at the end of the day, at all times, having all that you need. And that's the best deal, right? I missed out something. I missed it all. Where am I? All, and all things, at all times, having all that you need. All things, at all times, having 
all that you need. That's what God wants to do for your life. Again, it will look different for different people. Other people will, for whatever reason, it doesn't really matter. And never be envious of anybody else. That's an ugly trait. That's really ugly. Uh, you know, on occasion, um, you know, I, I'll put, post on Facebook, you know, even, because I never heard anything from anybody here. I'm just saying, but on occasion, you know, I'll post a thing of me on a beach or something like, like last Sunday, you know, and people get, some people get mad. I see it on Facebook, they get mad. You preachers just, just, just living fed off the hog. Really? You don't know what I'm doing over there. Or I'll take a picture of me and Deb driving first class to Singapore or something. Woo, check this out. I'm laughing about it because we're not paying for it. I think it's hilarious. I get a call from these people in Singapore. Will you come talk to my group? No. We really want you to come. No, we don't want to come. Please, won't you come? We'll pay you blah, 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 much money. Oh, okay. That sounds good. I said, ah, I'm still not sure. Oh, we want you. Well, it's going to cost you. You got to round trip, business class, first class, tricks, tickets, the whole way. Okay. I told my wife, hey, you want to go to Singapore? <laughs> I think it's hilarious. I think it's the blessing of the Lord. All right? $20,000 to speak for like 20 minutes. First class tickets. If they pay for everything, I think it's hilarious. Why does that happen? Because somewhere along that line, I learned to be generous. Okay? So I'll take a picture. Look. Woo! First class. And people are, yeah, it's terrible that you have that. You're just making us all feel bad. Do you know that's a thing now? It's called Facebook envy. No, they're saying it's actually hurting people's marriages. Because if someone posts a picture of they're happy with their husband, you think, really? My husband's a jerk. Uh, how come I can't be happy like that? Oh, look, we got a brand new dog. How come we can't get a brand new dog? What's the matter with that? You know, and look, we added a new room. And, and people get mad. How come we didn't add a new room? If you wouldn't spend all your money in a stupid way, we'd have enough money. And there's people actually going in each other's throats. They call it Facebook envy, getting mad. And I've seen this personally. People getting mad. I think one time I showed one of these trips and somebody said, that's the last time I'll ever go to your church. I'll never give you another penny. You jerk. He probably never gave a penny in the first place. That's usually these people. No, that's what they, they don't give anything anyway. He's never come back to somebody's church because he saw me in a picture going first class somewhere. I didn't pay for that. <laughs> How many of you, if I said I will pay first class, $1,000 hotel to come to Singapore and back for 10 days, how many would do it? You terrible people! <laughs> Horrible, evil, evil, evil people. How dare you do that? Man, don't be like that. Don't be envious of people that are being blessed and stuff. So different people will do, well, some people will have a nicer house than you. A lot of people, a lot of you all have a nicer house than me. That's okay. You know, some people have a better car. Okay. Some people have, you know, this or that. Okay. Some people have a really tall husband. Okay. Some got little short ones. Okay. So what? Well, his wife got a new, new coat. Well, praise the Lord. Well, I didn't get a coat. Talk to your husband. That's not my problem. I'm oh, well, envying people, getting mad and jealous. And you do this and you get to do that. Oh, my goodness. I can glad to say, other than that one psycho I just mentioned, we don't hear that in our church. Don't let that ever be a part of your conversation. Don't look at other people, get mad because they have something you don't. Okay. And besides, a lot of stuff on Facebook is kind of hyped anyway. 
Have you seen the pictures of these people on Facebook? And then seen them in real life? <laughs> I'm not kidding. Because they said that they work all day long to get the makeup perfect and the lighting just perfect. So when they take the picture, they're like, holy cow. And then you look at the other photos where they look normal. Whoa, you know, it's just, it is what it is, all right? Just don't, don't go crazy. What am I talking about? I don't know what I'm talking about. Just don't be envious. Be as blessed as you can be. Never envy somebody else who seems to be more blessed than you. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know where they're at in life. Just enjoy your life. Love your life. Love it. Okay, I tell people, enjoy the road you're on. Enjoy the road you're on. It might be a dead end. <laughs> Say, how will I know? When you get to the end. <laughs> and if it's a dead end, don't cry. Oh, Pastor, just relax. Go pick another road. Right? You know how many dead ends I've gone down in my life? So many. So many. I've learned by mistake, how to live my life because I've done so many stupid things. I don't get depressed by it. That light at the end of the tunnel could just be another train coming at you. You're just, you're just, you know, man, there's the end of the tunnel. It's coming closer. You know, so, so you jump out of the way. So what? Just enjoy your life. Well, sometimes I'm really hurting, Pastor. Well, that's where he says, sometimes, when you're in a good place, you should be able to minister to someone who's not in a good place. Why? Because someday you may not be in a good place and others will minister to you. It's not just about money. It's about all kinds of things. That kind of equality in the kingdom of God. And listen, there's times when life is horrible, horrible, horrible for me. It's just horrible. My wife, I'm gone past time, but I'm the pastor. I can do whatever I want. Okay? My wife, you know, she just went through this horrible cancer thing, right? She thought she was going to die. I thought she was going to die. The doctors all said, she's going to die. At a minimum, you can, they gave us like, what was the last January? It'll be over by then. That's rough. That's a hard day. You cry. You feel horrible. Does God feel close? No, he feels like he's a million miles away. What do you do? You just keep going. You just keep going. And then all of a sudden, God shows up. The thing about God showing up, he usually shows up at the last minute. I wish he wouldn't do that. You know, but, but right? You know, I'm going to throw you into the lines then. Daniel, I'm going to throw you in the lines then. Oh, God's going to show up. And he grabbed me and wrestled. Don't worry, God's going to show up. Put him to the end. Don't worry, God's going to show up. Throw him in. Hello. Hello. Now would be a good time. <laughs> and God shuts the mouth of the lion. They came the next day to look at his bones. They go down, he's still down there. Wow. Then we read the story, right? The three Hebrew guys thrown into the fiery pit. They threaten him. If you don't bow and worship these idols, we're going to kill you. Oh, God will show up and save us. That's what they said. Well, they get arrested. God's going to show up. Okay. They drag them off to the fiery thing. They're at the edge. God's going to show up. They start pushing him in. Now's a good time. All right? They get in. They're walking around in the fire. Nothing's burning them. The Bible says they all looked in and said, holy cow, look at that. 
Some guys got so close, look, they actually died from the heat. They couldn't believe it. They finally came out. The Bible said they didn't even smell like smoke. Well, that's a cool story. Well, yeah. For you. Because you didn't get thrown in. Look at all these miracles. Look at all these miracles. Where God shows up, does incredible things. Jesus calming the storm. That was nice. The bad news is you're in a storm. Lazarus raised from the dead. That's cool. Bad news is you got to be dead. All these things, all these things. God, for some reason, shows up at the last minute. Why? I don't know. I'd really like it to be a lot earlier. <laughs> if there's any way we could work this out. <laughs> okay? But God shows up. All of a sudden, she got better. Everybody's shocked. I'm still shocked. I tell her she's too stubborn to die. <laughs> now, well, what happens? What if she does? She's going to die. Everybody dies. That's right. <laughs> All right, I got to shut up. All right, I just say, don't be envious. Don't get mad. Enjoy your life. Try to get in a position where you can be as big of a blessing as you can be. And then trust God for the rest. All your life, you may not be have any more than the little two pennies you throw in the offering. That's okay. Be the best poor person you can be. Right? Just love God, enjoy life, and be a blessing as much as you can be. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your kindness in your grace. We thank you, God, that you are faithful to us. Uh, at times, life is very, 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 very hard, but you're always faithful. And we can always trust you no matter what our circumstances. God, you've always shown up, and you always will. Even on death's bed, when we finally take our last breath, you will show up in the most glorious way as we transfer out of this place into your glorious kingdom. We love you and thank you for your kindness. Help us to be the best blessing we can be, God. Help us to live the kind of lives that you will bless us abundantly instead of sparingly. Help us not to live in fear, but to live in peace. Help us to be smart with our money and not to let life suck the life out of us and get caught in the trap of debt. Help us to be the best blessing we can be. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right, you hang out a little bit. Don't forget to pick up your kids, all y'all. <laughs> Eight o'clock. Bye-bye.